Everything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week, another preseason win to discuss here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number two of the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Leading off, we've got Greg Cosell and Chalk Talk, where this week, Greg and I are going to sit down. We're going to talk about offensive football, offensive terminologies, and really uh, the differences between those well-defined offenses that you often see at the college level and then how that progresses as you get to the NFL. So really a fascinating discussion here uh, between me and Greg coming up in Chalk Talk. After that, we've got two technique with Eagles cornerback Jalen Watkins. And we want to talk about uh, something that I think it's a term that's thrown out there a lot, and fans don't necessarily understand what the, the meaning of it is. So we talk about what it means for a defensive back to be in phase with a receiver. So really, really good discussion there with Jalen, and uh, he really sheds a lot of light on that topic. And then lastly, we're wrapping up the show with Saturday Scouting. Brian Rice from UTSports.com is going to shed some light on the Tennessee Volunteers football program. I think we're going to do some things a little bit differently with Saturday Scouting. I've been bringing in a lot of these NFL draft guys to give their opinions as well on some of these players, but I wanted to dig a little bit deeper get some background info on some of the top prospects around the college football landscape. So you'll start to see that I'm bringing in some of these college beat writers, some of these team insiders to give uh, some background info on some of the top prospects in the country. But before we get into all that, it's time to welcome in my favorite guy in the room, the man with a plan, my esteemed producer, Brian Thomas. What's up, BT? How you doing, sir? Doing all right. Doing all right. Uh, it's the third preseason game, and this is obviously the first road the third game. Quarter. Yes, third quarter. Yes, the third quarter. But is this the way is the like first quarter in terms of our road broadcast. So yes. Things are a little different in the truck in terms of us having to prepare for a road game and getting everything situated, but uh, we're now in a groove, so everything looks good. So how do things how, – how different are things now when you have to go on the road? How much earlier do you have to get stuff ready inside the truck? Well, we usually have to have stuff prepared uh, three days ahead of the game – maybe sometimes even four, because all of our drivers have to travel with different people. So they travel ahead of time with people who are going to be in the truck first. But in case there's any reason for a drive failing, we're always having backups. So things have to be, be prepared much earlier. But um, we're in a groove. And, and as everyone says, this is the dress rehearsal. So this game will actually replicate what a regular season game will look like. So the matchups and things we kind of present to fans are things that you'll see throughout the year. What about those excellent... Mike Mayock X's Wawa. nose breakdowns. Wawa breakdowns. Those those are whoever those are produces those. I got to tell you, it's this guy. I I might have heard you might have heard him, Fran <laughs> Fran Duffy. I, it's my one contribution to the preseason broadcast. I no, I, I love him. We did one on Rasheed Bailey, and uh, that's right. Our 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 intern is actually yes. a close with Rasheed Bailey. We'll, we we might talk about that on the Eagles Insider podcast. Tease. Next we week. like to call that a tease. That's a good but, point. Uh, they, we did one on Rasheed, and it was nice to see some some stuff of him in college. No question. So uh, I actually posted my thoughts on the game. If you go on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, you can check out the Eagle Eye in the Sky column. Uh, I really liked what I saw from Sam Bradford. Obviously, it was only I think it was twelve total plays, fourteen total snaps, including the penalties. Uh, there were some times where he looked a little bit antsy, but he you know he talked about it after the game. He chalked that up to to the nerves and excitement of getting back out in front of live action. I was really, really excited about the run game. Uh, DeMarco Murray, Ryan Matthews, I thought ran the ball really, really hard. Darren Sproles looked good in the backfield and then also out in space. Uh, I really liked all the weapons in the passing game. I mean, you saw the ball getting spread around to all the different targets very early on, and I was really, really excited to see that. 
defensively, the front seven, once again, was just outstanding. Uh, I talked about some of the numbers when you look at how successful that Baltimore run game was a year ago, uh, and then just looking about the looking at the success that defensive front seven had against that Baltimore front uh, was really, really good to see. Uh, and then also just the secondary. I mean, they had two. They started the game off with two interceptions on the first two drives. Really good stuff from Nolan Carroll knocking the ball away uh, into Walter Thurman's hands. Uh, great interception there by Byron Maxwell as well, just kind of catching what's thrown to you. The, Joe, Joe Flacco overthrew the ball, and, uh, you know, he, he made the play. So doesn't look like we're going to see Aaron Rodgers, unfortunately, but this is still a, an offense that's full of uh, a number of different targets there in the passing game. But let's get into the thick of this thing here. Let's get the show started with Greg Cosell, my favorite segment of the week. It's time for Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Here again on the Eagle Eye. Joining me here once again on Chalk Talk for the third time this season. Again, he will be here each and every week from now until the end of football season. Greg Cosell from NFL Films. Greg, it's another week here in the preseason. We're one week closer to the regular season. And before we get into the topic that I wanted to really hit on uh, with you today, I wanted to first talk to you about the Eagles, uh, mainly that defense. And I know you have watched the defensive unit. Uh, What were your initial thoughts just watching the, the first couple units? Well, just a quick thing. I have a philosophy with a Chip Kelly-type offense because when you run a speed-tempo offense, it really goes through your entire organization. So it's not just a speed-tempo offense. It really becomes a speed-tempo operation. So you have to think about how that impacts your defense. And that means your defense ultimately is going to play more plays. So you need a lot of depth on defense. That, that to me, is a critical piece of sort of the Chip Kelly puzzle. And I think the Eagles have clearly worked effectively in that direction. They have a lot of depth at a lot of positions. Now, when you pop in the tape of the Eagles defense, and a lot of guys play, so we don't know how it's all going to specifically shake out. But a couple of things, Fran, stand out, and I know you feel the same way because we've talked about this, is they're bigger and they're more athletic. Yeah, no and, question. And the athletic part, I think, is really critical in this league. Uh, obviously, there's always a baseline of, of size. You can't just put a bunch of small guys out there. But you really need athleticism in this league. And I think the Eagles have clearly made an athletic upgrade uh, from last year to this year. And that's very promising, again, as we get into the third preseason week. Yeah, no question about it. And then I think that speaks a lot, too, As we, this will be the last point before we move on. Uh, to the contract extension they gave to Michael Kendricks because oh, everyone yeah. wonders, okay, well, you've got Kiko Alonso, you've got D'Amico obviously for another year, you bring Kendricks back, you drafted Jordan Hicks in the third round, you know, how are all these guys going to play? But with the, the speed tempo operation and rotating guys in and out, you're going to need depth, especially at the linebacker position. There's going to be games where the defense is, is three and in, the term Bill Davis likes to use because maybe the offense goes three and out real quick and, tw- and 30 seconds come off the clock and the defense is three and in. Sure. And you're going to need players. And, you know, the Kendricks signing, and, and we've talked about Kendricks, uh, very athletic guy. I think he can play multiple positions with their linebacker situation, their outside linebacker situation in particular, in a little bit of flux right now. I remember watching Michael Kendricks, as I know you do, in, at uh, Cal – and he lined up outside, rushed the quarterback. I thought he was pretty good at it. Now, yeah. I'm not sitting here suggesting that's where you're going to see him. But let's say Marcus Smith's injury is worse. Let's say Marcus Smith doesn't improve as much as they think. Let's say Vinnie Curry can't quite cut it because he's now doing something he's never done before. Michael Kendricks is a, is a pretty good uh, guy to have on your roster uh, 
and he's more than just filling a roster spot, obviously, by the contract yeah. they gave him. Right. But he's a pretty good guy to have around who could possibly move to the outside in certain situations. And I, I just think back to the one play where he uh, straight up beat Trent Williams, one of the best left tackles right. in football, right. uh, last year in Week 16 off the ball with a, with a little hand swipe move and turned the corner. But, uh, again, that wasn't the main reason I want to talk <laughs> to you today. Uh, one of the terms that gets thrown around um, around college draft, around the NFL draft time, uh, is quarter, when we're talking about quarterbacks – and well-defined offensive systems. Correct. So what, what makes a, a system well-defined? I mean, that's a question I think a lot of fans ask, and I figured that could be something that we could discuss today. Yeah, you hear that a lot. Uh, you hear quarterback-friendly. You know, there's sure, various right. terms you hear a lot. So why are systems quarterback-friendly, so to speak? And when you put together pass game concepts, what you're trying to do, and again, you don't know specifically what the defense is going to do, but what you're trying to do is create a situation for the quarterback where it's clearly defined going, okay, here's my primary, here's my secondary, here's my third. And let me give you an example, and there's different ways to do this. One thing is called pure progression. Right, we talked about that part a little bit last oh, week. Did, okay, yes. but what you do there is – you're not really asking the quarterback to read the defense right. per se. In other words, you're not saying, hey, look at this linebacker or look at this safety. What you're saying to the quarterback is there's three routes within this progression. You're going to drop back, and if the f- number one is open, you throw it to him. If number one is not open, and it doesn't matter why he's not open. It doesn't matter which defender or or how the defense is taking it away. But if number one is not open, you then go to number two. If he's open, you throw it. If he's not open, for whatever reason, you move on to number three. And that's what they term pure progression, because you're not particularly reading a defense. Right. Now, then there's other concepts in the pass game uh, where you anticipate, based on down and distance personnel, certain coverage concepts. And then you might have your quarterback read a specific player. A very simple example is this, and I hope people can visualize this. I know you can because we we sit and watch the tape all day. But a lot of teams will line up in base personnel, let's say one back, two tight ends, and two wide receivers. So visualize that. Sure. And defenses often in response to that, especially if it's first down, will play with eight in the box because you've got two tight ends, you've got the, the running back, it's first down, it's run personnel and, and a run formation. So now you have a single high safety because they're playing with eight in the box. Right. So there's a route concept. It's in everybody's playbook for 100 years called the post-cross. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Okay. It's one of my favorite concepts. And there you go. <laughs> so one receiver runs a crossing route and the other receiver runs to the post. Right. So now... Where are you going to throw the ball? Well, you throw the ball off of the deep safety. This is where you're reading a particular player. And in fact, 99.9% of the time, this concept will be used with play action so the quarterback will turn his back to the defense. Then when he turns back and he has to whip his head around, he has to locate immediately that deep safety. If that deep safety stays deep, you throw to the crosser. Right. If that deep safety jumps the cross and plays it, you're going to throw the post over the top. Exactly. So, and it's, and they, this was a, a concept that we saw a lot from the, the Redskins in RG3's rookie year. They correct. ran this up and down. The, whenever they had a chance, you saw those t- the tight splits from the, from the receivers. Uh, you saw you know, multiple tight ends and you know, off-play action 
RG3 was making one read off that post safety. Sometimes he had somebody in the flat just as a as a safety, as a check down, but often he was reading that post safety and making a throw. And teams that are good running teams that have the run game as essentially their foundation, the Cowboys, the Rams, the 49ers, you'll see this with the Vikings, I guarantee it this year. Teams like that, this is a staple what we call shot play type play where they're looking for a potentially big play and all your quarterback is doing when he gets his head around, he's reading one player. Right. Exactly. And you'll see that same kind of concept with what we call high lows where you anticipate a certain defense and you run a route concept where a, an underneath defender is the player that the quarterback is reading. And if the player s- sits a little deeper, you throw it to the underneath route. If the player creeps up and right. plays the underneath route, you throw it over the top of him. It's a high-low concept off of a particular defender. So these are ways in which you can simplify the pass game for the quarterback uh, and make it that he does not have to read an awful lot of things. One other concept which I really, really like, and it's really good for young quarterbacks, you, you always hear half-field read, that term, right? versus okay. full-field read. Okay, okay? Yep. So what, you, what a half-field read essentially is is you want your quarterback to drop back and just look to one side of the field. He's not really worried about the other side of the field. You need to be a veteran quarterback usually to, to get to that. Um, but you read one side of the field. And what really good coaches do is they'll make the last read in the progression, which is usually the third. Very rarely do you get to a fo- sure, fourth yep. read. It's usually the third that receiver could come from the other side, but he'll come across the field, across the middle of the field yeah. into the half-field vision of the quarterback so that if he looks, let's say, to the right and his primary is not there, his secondary is not there, then his number three is literally coming right into his field of vision and he doesn't have to move his head, his eyes, and his feet, and he can stay focused on one side of the field and you help your quarterback that way because you're not now asking him to have to move his feet, his eyes, his body, his all, you know, and, do, and, and then refocus because that's where you get quarterbacks in trouble when they sort of have to refocus because this is happening way faster than we're talking about it. And you, and you think about the offenses that we would say this about. Baylor was, uh, was a, a big one, a big proponent of this. Uh, West Virginia, yep. Oklahoma State, uh, Washington State. A lot of these teams, uh, you'll see a lot of these things. And again, a lot of teams, even at the NFL level, mix in. You know, you're going to see high-low reads. You're going to see uh, some of these pure progression reads. You're going to see some of these simple, obviously, the post-cross concept. But at the the what be, makes an offense QB friendly, quote unquote, uh, is the fact you know the the volume at to, at which you're seeing these concepts. So you'll see lots of screens. You'll see right. lots of the the defined things where uh, you know maybe it's like okay you're going to read one player and you're getting the right. ball out. I mean it, you're you're making it simple for the quarterback. Right, and very often you know you hear teams you know how do you help your quarterback? Well, very often you'll see in third and long situations screens. You know because it's it's an easy play. There's no reading involved. You're not asking your quarterback then on third and twelve to have to drop back where the defense has the tactical advantage and, and see a lot of things, understand pressures. Don't forget, the, the quarterback has a lot going on. Uh, it starts even before the snap of the ball. Right. And particularly in third-down situations, he has to understand what the pressure scheme might be. He has to understand how the pressure scheme relates to what the coverage might be. He has to understand that that could all change from pre-snap to post-snap. So there's a lot going on. 
and for younger quarterbacks in particular, uh, it, it's it's pretty daunting. And, and that's what makes, if we just get back to the Eagles for a moment, a Chip Kelly offense so interesting and, and why it can be so effective is, is because ultimately what you're doing is you're taking away the ability of the defense to use all their options and to communicate before the ball snapped. And that's the killer part is when defenses can't really use any kind of disguise, they can't really use their options, uh, they don't gain the tactical advantage because the ball snaps so quick, and they can't communicate. So that makes it easier for the quarterback, and it also makes it easier for the receivers, quite frankly. No question. So big picture here. When we're looking at QB friendly and making it simple and, uh, you know, the, the, all the different terms that we throw around when we're talking about college quarterbacks, obviously the, you come into the argument of, well, part of it is what is the coach's job? Is the coach's job to develop a quarterback to make him as smart you and mean as college effective? Coaches? College, we'll start their with college. Their job is to win games. Their, their job is to win <laughs> games. Exactly right. So they're not necessarily worried, oh, well, this, this is going to make my quarterback a, an all-pro guy at the NFL. Art Bryles' job is not to make Bryce Petty a first-round pick. No Art Bryles' job is to win games at Baylor. Exactly. So the, the question that a lot of fans will, will, uh, will ask is, well, why don't more NFL coaches try and make it easier for, for their quarterbacks and say, okay, well, if, the college, if it works at the college level, why can't it work all the time in the NFL? And it's a, it's a very tough question to answer. It's a tough question, and there's probably many people who think that you can do the exact same thing. I think there's a couple of reasons why it can't be duplicated exactly. Right. Um, I think one, and we've talked about this, is the location of the hash marks in the NFL. Yes. I think in college, with the hash marks so wide, you have a really extreme wide side of the field that is very difficult to defend. Uh, It would be difficult to defend at any level of football, but it's very difficult to defend because there's an awful lot of space, and it's it's just hard because... if you want to, a lot of teams have to defenses have to match up pure man. And let's let's just get into that real quick. So uh, let's just say that the you have a college offense that's lined up on the left hash, and they go three by one with one receiver to the short side of the field to the boundary, and you've got three receivers to the right, on the and, right. They, and they decide that they're going to run say a bubble screen uh, with the number three receiver running the screen, right. and you've got two guys blocking for them on the outside. In the NFL, that space that that player has is, is a, much it, less much less much less against faster athletes on Correct. the other side of the ball whereas Correct. in college those teams on the on the other side of the ball don't always have the faster athletes and there's more more room to run right. more space to work with right but then if you just sort of play devil's advocate you know the flip side of all this is you know we've seen now in the NFL at times uh, certainly Chip Kelly does it I remember Seattle did it against the Eagles last year I think Seattle did it last year when Russell Wilson ran for a touchdown is where teams will stack their two wide receivers on each side outside the numbers. Absolutely, right. And there's no question that that forces your defense to spread out, and it's not necessarily how effective it may or may not be in the pass game, but obviously it lightens the box. Because right, it becomes you, a numbers game at it that It becomes point. a numbers game. So I think those kinds of principles are in the NFL now. It's just I think people are trying to figure out now if that can work as a foundation, right. if you can truly run that kind of offense every play. Because even Chip Kelly, it's all speed tempo, but 
his formations, with, with few exceptions when he does something a little different, are not necessarily any different than anybody else. If you just did a freeze frame of Chip Kelly with his quarterback in the gun, the back offset, and, and the alignment of the three wide receivers, it would look like 31 other teams in the league. Right. No question. So you know, the question ultimately becomes, and I know you think about this, I think about this, we read about it. You know, can you ultimately in the NFL run an offense as your foundation where you have wide receivers, you know, split well outside the numbers? Maybe it's going to be tried. I guess we don't specifically know the answer to that. I think the issue in the NFL every team gets concerned about is, yes, you can spread it out. But is that going to mean that there's going to be more free rushers at your quarterback? Right. And everybody is concerned in the NFL about free rushers at the quarterback. And in college, it's not as big an issue just because defenses are nowhere near as multiple or complex. The athletes aren't as good. And you can recruit a five-star, four-star quarterback every single year if you're one of the top programs in the league. Correct. So, you know, you're just better than the people you're playing against in that regard. I mean, but you talk to any offensive coach in the NFL, and I've had many of these conversations over the years, and the last thing they want is their quarterback getting hit by unblocked defenders. And we know that it's not the same as it was 20 years ago where you can just lay guys out, but still, there is a cumulative effect of your quarterback getting hit. And it's not just the physical effect. It's then quarterbacks develop a, a little cabin fever. They get a little gun shy. No quarterback wants to drop back and have to constantly beat unblocked defenders. It's too hard. No, absolutely not. So, uh, in closing, there's lots of different ways that you can help a quarterback, that a coaching staff can help bring a quarterback along and help him be effective. And really, it comes back to what you see here in Philadelphia. Yeah, because another way, and, and obviously this is the Chip Kelly way, is you play fast on offense with tempo, and the defense is put in a bind. Because now you're taking away any potential advantage the defense has tactically. So now, even though... The faster you play offensively, the less number of plays you can theoretically run. It doesn't matter because you're running these plays against basic defensive concepts. The defense is not disguising. The defense can't beat you tactically. So the quarterback doesn't have to worry about, okay, this safety, he's going to move before the snap, or this guy is not going to be where he is after I take the snap. So you really help your quarterback. And again, we're going to find out as we go forward, uh, but... It may be a situation where, in the Chip Kelly approach, that certain positions may not be, a, be seen as important as others the way other teams evaluate them because his offense takes care of that. It'll be very interesting to watch. Greg Cosell from NFL Films, I appreciate you once again joining me here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Thanks, Rant. Great stuff once again from Greg Cosell. I love having him in the studio. I feel like whenever we get started with a topic, it's so easy for us to get off track, and then we start rolling down a hill at snowballs. Thankfully, I think in that conversation, we, we kept it on track a bit. It was really, really interesting stuff with uh, dealing with the, the differences between a college pass offense and what uh, the prototypical NFL pass offense is and how it's starting to blend together. Your conversations with him are like football meatball sandwiches. They're just good, hearty, answer all the questions. I'm all in. See, I, now, if we could create a podcast where we could just create analogies between football and some of my favorite foods like you just did, I think we'd be in really good shape. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, 
moving on as we because now we'll just start talking about food. Yeah. We've we've crossed the line here. Uh, iTunes, how are we looking this week? Good, good. Uh, we got some great comments. Uh, people have been going on there checking this out. Um, Want to give shout outs to a couple guys, a few guys who uh, gave us some comments or ladies. Uh, Roughneck Rico, which is I love oh, the name Roughneck nice. Rico. It's Absolutely. Just, Rob Weatherall and Cool in the Gang all gave us some good comments. So I just cool want to give you guys gang. some kudos. Cool in the Gang. Okay, gotta love it. It's a great love name. It. It's a great name. But I uh, just want to give you guys some kudos for, for going on and giving us comments. That stuff helps us make give it a better show. And I always want to give you guys what you want. So um, go on there and give us comments. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. And uh, we'll, we'll we, uh, weather it all. Yeah. It's, <laughs> we'll, it's, we'll tailor it to you guys. It's exactly. It's the best way to support the podcast. Go on iTunes. Go on Stitcher. Wherever you listen. Find the feed. Go on, rate it, and leave a comment. It is the best way to support the show. Uh, let's keep this thing moving here. Let's get into two technique with Jalen Watkins. Time to get inside the mind of a player. It's time for two technique. Here now with Eagles cornerback Jalen Watkins and Jalen. I wanted to explain to fans today uh, just what it means for a cornerback when they, a coach says that he's in phase and getting in phase. What exactly does that mean? Uh, in phase means even on top of the receiver. And you have him squeezed uh, to the sideline where there's no room, no drop zone for the quarterback. And uh, that's when you will be able to, you know, in your phase zone, I mean, in phase, that's when the coaches want you to turn, look your head, and try to go up for the ball, make a play the best you can. And obviously, you have out of phase, which that's when you're trying to catch up, which most fans see. And they'd say, oh, why didn't he turn his head around? But he's out of phase. That's not what he's supposed to do, so. Exactly. So you look at you think of in phase. You're really you're on that receiver's hip, and you're looking back, and you're trying to see if you can find the ball. Uh, do you feel like that's one of the harder things for a cornerback to work on? Oh yes, because once you look back, you lose the receiver, and the quarterback's throwing the ball to the receiver, not the corner. So you have to find that fringe of having him, you know, on your arm, and that just a good correlation between the ball and him, and look up. That way, he doesn't drift away from you because. Most of the time you see guys look up for the ball like it's coming to them, then the receiver drifts away, catch the ball, get his feet in. So uh, it's just, you know, it's just one of those things where after playing it so much, you get used to it. Is it when you're – and then when you're out of phase and the corners got – or the receivers got you beat over the top, is it more now you're just looking at the receiver's hands? What exactly are you looking for if you're out of phase? Yeah, definitely. Um, you're looking for his hands, uh, and if he slows down, then you're probably going to be back in phase quicker than you expect. So you can either – play through his hands or turn around and look at the ball. That's the hardest thing to do, I think, as a DB is uh, being out of phase because, um, you know, you're probably going to get a P.I. All right, so last question. Do you feel like uh, a corner's ability to do that? Do you think that is an, a natural thing, an innate thing that you kind of have and you have the ability to do it, or is it something that you can really improve on and, uh, and get better at as you uh, get coached on it? Uh, I think it's just natural ball skills. Um, I think some players – you know, just from playing a while, they get used to it. But some guys are just very – I've seen a lot of guys that are just very natural, like receivers. So when they turn into – they just turn into the receiver when the ball's in the air, and that works for them. But then you have the guys where they have to get a lot of practice at it. So um, definitely I think it's something that kind of comes natural. That was some great stuff there from Jalen, man. He's definitely one of my favorites that I've talked to so far with that two-technique segment. I'm a big fan of his. And, B, did you know – that's a, a segment from the Journey to the Draft podcast by, uh, presented by AAA. Did you know that he's the half-brother of one Sammy Watkins? I did know that. I feel like people keep forgetting that. People can forget that, and I'm like, you know what? That's got to be a crazy family full of great athletes. Yes. That's just one of the fun facts that I look to provide here uh, on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Do you want another? I do. Give me another. Well, if you're listening to this on the Eagles app or on the site, and if you like what you hear, it's really simple. 
Go on your phone. Go to the podcast app. All of your fancy schmancy smartphones have them. Just search Eagle Eye in the Sky. You hit subscribe. And now this show downloads automatically to your phone every week, and you can listen whenever you want. Listen in your car. Listen at work. I listen when I'm walking my dog, whenever and wherever you want. And while you're at it, go and subscribe to the Eagles Insider Podcast. The Journey to the Draft Podcast will be starting up soon. Uh, The College Draft Podcast with myself and Ross Tucker, where we're talking college football and the NFL Draft every single week throughout the year. There's a ton of great podcasts out there. You just have to know where to look. So, BT, you were the one that turned me on to podcasts a while back. I have not consumed content the same way since then. So go check it out. If you like what you hear, Go and subscribe. It's really that simple. All right, we're going to wrap the show up like we do every week. Let's talk some college football. It's time for Saturday Scouting. Joining me this week on Saturday Scouting, a writer from UTSports.com. He knows the Tennessee Volunteers program just as well as anybody. Brian Rice is here. Brian, I appreciate the time this morning. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so pretty much what I wanted to accomplish this week was have, uh, have you introduce us now to the Tennessee Volunteers program, some of the top players uh, that are coming up through the pipeline here. And we can't really start with any player other than quarterback Josh Dobbs. He came in for Justin Worley a year ago, uh, 6'3", 212 pounds, good athlete. Off the field, everyone knows you know, he's this really, really smart guy. He's an aerospace engineering major. But what does he bring to this program? How, how much is Butch, jo- Butch Jones and that coaching staff leaning on him for this fall? A tremendous amount. He's a great leader. You know, for all the accolades he gets, certainly for his performance on the field, and then there's the Astro Dobbs, Rocket Man jokes that you have for his um, academic exploits. It's it's his leadership that is making the difference for this team. Once he was named the starting quarterback, he really took possession, and he's what Butch Jones likes to call a CEO quarterback, where he's running the offense and he's really bonded with new offensive coordinator Mike DeBoard, and that's really helped him lead not just the quarterback room, which is a very young room. It's him and a bunch of freshmen, and, but it's the entire offense. They look to Josh Dobbs for leadership, and he provides exactly what they need in every sense of the word. And he's also a guy that can show that leadership to maybe guys that aren't playing. The plan the last two years was for Josh Dobbs to redshirt, and in both of those years he had to come in because of injury and be the starting quarterback for Tennessee certainly really took off last season down the stretch and then earned the starting job for this season. I'm sure it's been one of the big storylines for him that he's had to deal with now throughout training camp, but now that he is the starter and he's being looked at as the starter, whereas in years past, like you mentioned, he was the kind of the guy in the background, the future of the program, uh, how has that been different for him this fall? You know, it's been a completely different role. Um, Tennessee had had a quarterback competition throughout fall camp each of the last two seasons. So that brought it brought a totally different mentality to camp in general, not just the quarterback position, but the whole team. They know who their leader is. They know what the offense is going to look like because each of the last two years you had three very different quarterbacks competing for the job. Justin Worley's a pro-style guy. Nathan Peterman was a bit of a hybrid. And then Josh Dobbs, a running quarterback with a good arm, needed to work on accuracy. Now the accuracy questions have been answered. He answered them in front of 40,000 people at the spring game when Butch Jones had an impromptu quarterback skills competition right before halftime. So he set the tone with his performance and his leadership, and everybody knows what to expect out of Josh Dobbs. Well, he's definitely not lacking for talent on the outside. 
the, the Tennessee program has a plethora of receivers, one of the deepest groups in the SEC. Let's just split this group up into halves. If we can just look at the senior group, you've got Von Pearson, uh, you've got Pig Howard, who's a little bit undersized, 5'8", 189 pounds, uh, has made plays in space. Of those two guys, who, who do you think Tennessee fans, who is the program, the coaches, who are they most excited about moving forward into this season? Well, they're excited about Pig Howard with what he's done. You know what he is going to do, whether it's in the slot or outside. He's shown the ability to play much larger than his size. You mentioned 5'8", little undersized guy, plays large, can go up in space, make plays, and he's not intimidated going over the middle against linebackers, and he certainly has a matchup advantage with his speed against linebackers. So he's a guy that's very difficult to defend. Von Pearson can make those spectacular catches, those one-handed catches in the corner of the end zone. And coaches are very excited to see what he can do. Was injured early in the season last year, never really reached the potential that he had shown in practice because of his injuries. He relies a lot on cuts and moves, had an ankle injury that really limited him. But he started to come on towards the end of the season, had a good performance in the Tax Slayer Bowl, and has had good performances in fall camp to this point. I think both guys are people that, the coaches are very excited to watch, and the fans are very excited to watch as well. And then you look at this underclassmen group. There's just a, a number of names here that I know that fans are very, very excited about. These guys were big-time recruits coming in. You look at Josh Malone, who's going to be a sophomore this year, 6'3", 198 pounds. Marquez North, who's 6'4", 224, had a bit of an injury scare earlier in camp, hoping that he comes back soon. Jason Kroom as well, 6'5", 235. Of these guys, who do you think uh, is, the, is the guy that – team that the coaching staff is going to rely on most moving forward. I think Marquez North is that guy. He has been the guy the first two years of his career because of his size and his ability. We talked about Pig Howard playing larger than his body. Marquez North has that large body, but is still nimble enough that he can make the cuts. He can do things to create space for himself. And then if you throw the ball up in the air, he's going to go up and get it. He had spectacular catches against Georgia and South Carolina as a freshman, led to Tennessee's upset of South Carolina as a freshman, was Tennessee's most reliable receiver through the first half of last season, got injured in, before the South Carolina game, aggravated the injury in the South Carolina game, didn't play the rest of the season. But they're looking to have him sort of lead that wide receiver core. It was very, I will say, stressful for a few days when uh, he had that injury scare, but they think he's going to be just fine. Should be out there for Bowling Green. The other receivers you mentioned, you know, Jason Kroom, has another guy with a big body, can use his size, especially in the corner of the end zone, and to create space on smaller corners. And then Josh Malone is your deep threat. He's got the speed. He has great timing with Joshua Dobbs. They have great chemistry, have known each other throughout the recruiting process, have known each other since they've gotten here, really developed a lot of chemistry last year. Is North the guy that's the leader in that, in that meeting room, in that receiver meeting room? You know, it's funny. I did a story about our wide receivers last week, and they all sort of lead each other. They're, they're a true group, a true family, where there's not one guy that dominates the room. Their personalities have all sort of melded. They come from intensely different backgrounds, six different states represented in the receivers' room. But they've all come together as one family, and they get together off the field all the time. Um, their position coach, Zach Azani, had a birthday a couple of weeks ago. His wife brings a cake, and the receivers all crowd around and are playing with his kids. It's not a room that's dominated by a guy or two guys, and that's why it works. That's Butch Jones' system is running in and out as many wide receivers as you can to keep them fresh and to keep the defense on their heels. And this group's really embraced that. 
where no personality has taken over that room. All right, let's look at the guys on the other side of the line of scrimmage that the receivers have faced day in, day out here as training camp uh, is coming to a close here in the coming weeks. Let's look first at the cornerback position. Cam Sutton, uh, the true junior, 6'1", 189 pounds, dynamite player on the field. Off the field, what does he bring to the Tennessee program? He's another leader. He's, he's a guy that the entire team, offense and defense, looks to as a leader. He won the Al Wilson Leadership Award at the Orange and White game, which is given to the player that demonstrates the best leadership over the course of the offseason and spring practice. Um, another area where he's a leader, um, Rashawn Galden, a true sophomore, was lost for the season in practice a couple weeks ago. Cam Sutton is going to wear Galden's number seven this season. He's a guy that is steady. You know what you're going to get with Cam Sutton. You don't have to worry about his performance. You just know that his side of the field is covered. If they move him up to nickel, because a lot of, against a lot of offenses, your base defense is nickel in the SEC against teams that like to spread it out. He can move into that nickel spot if he needs to because he's your most reliable defensive back. He knows the defense. He can set his other guys, especially if he's playing with younger players. That position, defensive backs as a whole have a great mix of upperclassmen talent and new talent, and they've melded very well together, and that's because of Cam Sutton. And then looking at the front seven, uh, you've got Kurt Majit, the senior linebacker, 6'4", 251 pounds, uh, plays on that strong side and that 4-3 defense. And then uh, the, the freshman sensation a year ago, Derek Barnett, 6'3", 268 pounds for a true freshman uh, defensive end. Really impressive guy. What is Majit? Let's start with Majit. What does he bring to the field, and what does he bring to the locker room? Uh, Majit's the ultimate team leader. He's the guy that he's been there now for five years. This is his fifth season. He's the old man of the group, but everybody looks up to him. He's that true father figure for the defense. And, you know, he can play linebacker. He plays with his hand down on the line as a defensive end. Brings an incredible pressure with his speed and his power when he does that. Being that hybrid player, he's been involved in the linebacker room. He's been involved in the defensive line room. And with all the young talent that Tennessee has on the defensive line, mentioned Barnett, we'll talk more about him, but, you know, Majid has been the guy that those guys can follow. They can mold their games after, and they can mold their preparation after. He's a very prepared player, watches a lot of film, knows not just how to beat his opponent physically, but how to beat them mentally to get to the quarterback. And then Barnett, we talked about him a little bit, just to his size and his movement skills. What is he like off the field? What have you seen from him in his time uh, down there in Knoxville? Well, you want something scary. Derek Barnett has transformed his body from last year, and Opposing quarterbacks are should be, frankly, terrified by that news because last season he had a breakthrough year, especially as the year went on. Three sacks against Old Miss and then repeated the performance a couple of weeks later at South Carolina. Um, power, speed, he has it all. Last year his arms weren't quite as developed as, as you would look for as an SEC defensive lineman, but he was a freshman. So he gets into the weight room all summer long, all offseason long, loses weight on the fat side, gains it back in the muscle, and he is a real physical specimen. He just dedicated himself to doing it off the field, and I think that was a good lesson for a lot of the younger players. We had a couple of highly touted defensive linemen and Kyle Phillips and Shy Tuttle that enrolled at midterm, and then Khalil McKenzie came in this summer. For them to see a guy that had as much success as a freshman as Derek Barnett and how hard he works off the field and in the weight room, to improve his game, I think was a very good lesson for those guys. 
because you aren't going to have a better freshman season as a defensive lineman than Derek Barnett had in the SEC last year. The track record of that is, is very, very short for guys that have been that successful. So for him to continue dedicating himself to getting better every day is great for him and a great lesson for Tennessee's young defense. No question about it. Well, last question for you here, Brian. Uh... Who is next up in the pipeline? Who, who are no, who's nobody talking about uh, in the big picture here nationwide in this Tennessee program that's really going to light the world on fire moving forward? Uh, the guy that I like to look to is running back Alvin Kamara. He is going to be a great compliment to Jalen Hurd, who had a fantastic season as a freshman last year, but was a little bit beat up because he was having to carry the entire load for the running game for the Tennessee offense. Kamara comes in, came in at midterm, um, from junior college, started his college career at Alabama, was, had an injury there, got caught up in the depth chart, transferred out, hit the reset button. But that experience of going to junior college really turned him into a leader as soon as he stepped on campus. Butch Jones has talked about it on several occasions. He's able to tell these younger guys, hey, this is what you need to do to be in shape to play. And, guys, you've got to be grateful for everything you have here, the facilities you have here, the nutrition program you have here, and the coaches you have here. Then he brings it when you go on the field. He has that speed, get to the edge. is going to be a great one-two punch with Hurd. And that running game can make all the difference. You know, Joshua Dobbs has the wheels to run. The receivers can do what they do. But having an effective running game beyond Josh Dobbs, beyond Jalen Hurd, will be something that will be the difference for Tennessee this season. Brian Rice, again, you can check him out at utsports.com. Thanks, for, thanks again for joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Great stuff from Brian. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at Brian C. Rice. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. Give me a follow. I love going back and forth and talking with football fans. I tweet out the links to this podcast, all the other podcasts I'm a part of, the Eagle Eye in the Sky column, and a whole lot more. So just be sure to go on and check that out. Really appreciate all of you guys that are out there spreading the word on, on Twitter and Facebook and Reddit. No, I have not forgotten about all of you guys on Reddit. Got a lot of love for the people out there shooting some karma my way. Uh, thanks again to Greg and Jalen and Brian and all of you out there listening, whether you're on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you. And if you get time, again, Rate the show. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Shoot me a question. I want to hear from you guys. Keep all of you happy. So wherever you listen, just go and shoot us a comment, and we can keep making this show better each and every week. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For my producer, BT, I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week.